Workers, thank you very much for your liberality uh, tonight. Uh, one other thing, Curtis mentioned it. Uh, Ryan called me just a little bit before service. Keisha's in surgery right now. She had a herniated disc in her, in her neck, so she, they're doing neck surgery on her right now, so it's critical to so be praying. Uh, please, amen, tonight uh, when you go home, pray as well. So, uh, amen. So, we're in for a treat tonight. Amen. Good friend of mine, great evangelist in our fellowship. Every time he comes, I try to snatch him up. So I snatched him up again tonight. Let's give him a hand as he comes, Brian McCrady. Oh, hallelujah. Are we ready for church tonight? Oh, that was weak. Yeah, I think so. Are we ready for church? Let's have church tonight. Hallelujah. We're going to take a look at uh, the parable of Jesus. And I believe if Jesus is speaking, we need to listen. Hallelujah. And we can learn from it. If you have your Bibles, we'll open up to Matthew 22. And I thank everyone for coming tonight on a Wednesday. Many of you work hard all day long on a Wednesday. I know what it's like. You get home, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, and you're back in the car, get the kids strapped down. They don't want to buckle up, and you drive across town. And, of course, we know the traffic here. We, I mean, we've been there. It's the battle. And then you finally get in the parking lot, and it's like, but you made it. Hallelujah. You made it here, and it's in the archives of heaven that you're here tonight. It's written down. There's no devil, no demon can change history. You're here. You made it for your God. You made it for your Jesus. You made it for your church. You're here on a Wednesday night. Isn't that cool? I, before I gave my heart to Jesus, I never went to church on a Wednesday. I never thought about it. But when Jesus came in my heart, I'm ready for church Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day they'll let me in the doors. I'm all about it. Hallelujah. Something give my life something far bigger than myself. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we'll get going in Matthew 22. And we'll stay right in Matthew 22 so you don't have to flip around too much. I'll make it simple for you tonight. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. or two. We'll start in chapter 2. And Jesus taught, we, we all know, many things in the parables, but verse 2 of chapter 22 of Matthew says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and a fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. We're going to stop right there. We're going to break it down. We're going to have to put on our detective hat tonight. How many likes detective shows or books? I used to read books, uh, Louis L'Amour. Patrick Johnson, me, we hit it together because he likes cowboy. You want well, Patrick Johnson likes. I like cowboys. So when he came into my office years ago, I said, "Oh, you like, like anyways." But detective, this is what you have to do because there's hidden truths in the parables. You say, "Well, why doesn't he just spell it all out?" Well, we gotta dig for the treasures. Hallelujah! You gotta dig like King Tut's tomb. You gotta get out the treasures. And I'll tell you what, it can bless your life as long as you grab it and apply it to your heart tonight and say, Jesus said it, he gave a revelation to me, and now I'm going to grab a hold of it, and I'm going to work with it in my life. 
So hopefully we can grab a truth in this parable and we can grab it forevermore until the Lord takes us home. Say, I'm going to live by it. I'm going to stand by it. And this is the way Jesus operates. Because if Jesus said it, it's going to be there forever. Hallelujah. So as we look at it in verse 1, it says the, the king, he arranged a wedding. And most of the time it's always the bride, not the bridegroom. But here Jesus, uh, the king of kings, the, the Lord, he arranges it for his son, which represents Jesus. And it goes on, it says that he called his servants, the king did, to go out, invite who? Go invite the people to bring them to the wedding. Because this is real important, because the king wants everyone to be there. And it goes on that the king, they were not willing to come. The servants go out there and knock on the doors. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Knock on the doors. Yeah, if I get time, I'll come to that church. Because when you receive Christ into your heart, is the most spiritual, powerful relationship that you'll have here on this side of earth. I love my wife. Homegirl knows when I'm upset. She knows when I'm hungry. She knows when I'm tired. I mean, she can just tell it. And I also know when, when she's getting tired or ornery, I can, I can see it on her face. But I'll tell you what, the Lord Jesus is even closer to me than my wife. Because he can... That rudder, he can steer me, he can convict me. Conviction's good. It keeps me on that narrow road because the road's real narrow walking for the Lord. And he can come in. So it's a powerful relationship. And when we come into Christ, it's an intimate, close relationship. The power of God is inside. You feel clean. You feel forgiven. I mean, from there on in, we keep on growing in Christ. But it's the most powerful relationship. The Lord can speak to you at the nighttime. He can speak to you at the workplace. Even when your wife is not there that because you treated her bad and the Lord ever had that happen, the Lord convicts you that you weren't too nice to your wife or too nice to the kids. Or he can even speak to you in the bathroom. He has no boundaries. He'll speak to you. And because he loves you, it's not that he's just trying to make your life miserable, but he's trying to bless you and help you. Well, here these servants, they go out, they, they don't get a response, and the servants are just obeying what the king wants done. And it goes on and says that the king had everything prepared. Now, this is part, when I read this, i got to stop right there. It says in verse 4, it says, I have prepared my dinner. Oxen and fatted cattle are killed. I'm not going to miss that. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have my fork and knife ready for that lamb's marriage supper. The Bible talks about it, and, and if, I, if you don't know, there's a, going to be, when we go to heaven during this thing called rapture, there's going to be a seven-year marriage feast, and I'll be there. Any part of the table is fine. I could be at the end, the middle, the whatever, but I'm going to be there, and I'm going to have a good time. Hallelujah. But it's, it's, it's right here. It's, 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 it's the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're on a keto diet or if you're on one of those things, just pass your plate to me. I'll help you out with that <laughs> because I'm going to have that new glorified body. And it's, it, I mean, I'm going to, whew, I mean, it's going to be good living in heaven. Hallelujah. And it says, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. I mean, I can almost smell the steaks cooking right now. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm almost ready, done preaching, get out the door. Hallelujah. <laughs> I talked myself into it. But anyways, it goes verse 5. It says, but all this, I mean, these people must, I mean, there must be some strong demons in some of these people. With all this done, they still made light of it. I mean, they got to be, I mean, buck wild, half crazy. It's, it's, we, we had big weddings in Wisconsin. It's a three-day festival. 
I'm not promoting a new wedding, how you do things, but I'm telling you, I, I was in, these are big Catholic churches and so on. I mean, they start on Friday, it don't get over till Sunday. I mean, I mean, it's the biggest festivals you could ever imagine. They got the polka music. I don't know if anyone ever heard of polka music, but anyways, the, I mean, they have the bands. They, I mean, it's the biggest thing you want to, I mean, and even, even if you don't know the people, you still go to the wedding because of all the food and the celebration of what's going on when they have these big, big uh, weddings going on. And anyways, it goes that they made light of it, and then they not only made light of it and cast them, they seized the servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. All they were trying to do was get them to the wedding. You know, we have missionaries and workers, and I know many of you pray for them on a daily basis, but I need, they need our covering. I mean, they're in hazardous conditions. Just started off with the, the germs, the, the, the way they eat food, the way it's not, it's not nicey-nice like America here. They are, they're in a hostile environment. Uh, some of them are in danger of, of violent people. Your pastor in particular and his wife, Mona, they, I mean, they can tell you some stories. They lived it. They, they, I mean, it wasn't just they're, they're there for five days or four days. They were there for years, giving their life, and anything can happen. You say, well, they could call the police in 911. Yeah, and see, see if they show up, you know, see how quick they'll be there. And even the medical things, you know, we, we take it for granted. Thank God for America. As of now, there's some order and structure. You, you'd probably be able to go see a doctor within an hour if you need to. But in those countries, it, it's a life of faith. And I say all that is that, that here they got killed, and as this hour gets more heated, and of course we know Bible prophecy, we're living in the final days and all the different things that are happening, that there'll be more probably uh, fists being punched from hell and through different governments at the church and at God's people. But with that, there'll be a great outpouring of God's Spirit. You say, oh, that sounds... No, no, the book of Joel says there'll be a great outpouring of God's spirit. And I really believe many workers in here that you're going to be powerful fruitfulness, a fruitfulness that we have not even seen light of. I had the privilege of at times sitting with Pastor Mitchell and some of the old timers that experienced the Jesus movement. That's back in the 60s, touch of 70. I never seen the Jesus movement, but I seen through their eyes what they seen that I never seen before. And I said, I want that. I mean, you could just set up a church anywhere in a parking, and all of a sudden 100 people will be there, people coming to salvation. I mean, I believe, and if they seen that back in the 60s, what we're going to see is even going to be greater. You say, well, how's it all going to come down? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm in for the ride. Let Jesus figure that out. But he, but he says he'll pour out his spirit upon this earth, and, and the ones that are fighting for the ones and twos to get in their church, the ones that are just working and laboring and knocking on doors, I believe it's forming men's hearts in our fellowship. We got the best men in the whole world throughout our fellowship, men that long and suffer. And when it comes, they won't squander it away, but there'll be men in powerful position that can be able to deal. It won't get to their head because, you know, us men, we sometimes get big heads. It's so big that we can't walk through the door, but they'll be able to retain this revival that God pours out a spirit and lead people and get their souls to heaven. Hallelujah. So as it travels on, you can imagine only the Lord, as the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Verse 7, we haven't read that. We're going to read verses 7 through 10. If follow along, don't lose me. But when the king heard about it, he was what? Furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding is ready. But those, 
but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, many of you find invite to the wedding. So those servants went out in the highways and gathered together all whom they found both bad and all whom they found both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You know what's so powerful? Here the Lord brings judgment. And we know that Bible shows us there's different judgments. We know the days of Noah and so, so on and so forth. There's different places where God threw down fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah, if that rings a bell, where God says enough is enough and tries to warn people, bring people in position. Well, there's another judgment that's coming. But with this, that after God, where, where these disobedient, where God wanted them to be a part of the wedding, people refused, and they, they, they hurt his servants. They hurt these servants. They killed these servants. But then after that's all over, what would you and me do after your servants were sent out to go get people for this wedding? And now, remember, the king is being very gracious. He doesn't have to ask people to come to the wedding. Think about that for a moment. The king could make you be there at 8 o'clock, and if you're not there, I'm going to send my soldiers and put you in prison forevermore and throw the key away. But the king gives them an option. He gives you an option. Nobody came, brought you in here with the police officers tonight, but you had an option, either stay home and watch reruns of Gunsmoke, or come here and lift your hands to the King of Kings. Don't worry, I'll tell you what happens with Gunsmoke. Matt Dillon still lives. He always, no matter how many times he gets shot, he keeps on keeping on. He's like a Timex watch. But here it is, the king could have ordered them and made them be there, but he doesn't. And then, what you know, after if I was king, which I'm not, if I was king, after I wiped out all those servants, said, shut the door, we're going to have the celebration without those people, get the polka band playing, and we're going to have the wedding, and, you know, we're going to be, but he doesn't. What does the king do? He does what? A little bit more. What does the king do? He, he's on track. I ain't trying down on you, Tyler, but you're on track, but you're getting close. What does he do? The mission does not change. Think about the heartbeat of the Lord. The mission does not change. Even though those people rejected, even though they killed the servants, even though they misabused the prophets, even though they stoned the prophets through years, I mean, it's not, it wasn't a good job being a prophet in days of old. And, and all the hard-heartedness of people, what takes place? The mission does not change. The Lord turns to these other servants those other servants are dead. The first batch, the first crop, they're, they're gone. They've been misabused and used and killed. But now he turns to what? The servants. He, he could have said, well, just leave. The, he says, go out to the highways, the byways, get the bad, get the worst of the worst. If they spent 10 years in the big house, get them. If, they, if they're down on Skid Road, bring them to my house. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care if they've been hooked on drugs or crack or cocaine. I don't care what their problem is, how deep of sin they're in. I don't care if they had five divorces. You go after the worst of the worst. Bring them to my house. Bring them to marriage. He goes, even bring some good people. There might be some librarians. There might be some good doers. There might be some YMCA workers. Bring them also. I don't care if they're good or bad. Bring them all. Fill up my house. And what does the Bible says? His house was filled. It's a good feeling when the house of the Lord is filled. Hallelujah. 
I've been there where there's been some empty chairs and it makes a preacher cry at night. <laughs> Say, Lord, bring them. I don't care what they look like, how big, how small. I don't care. Bring them, Lord. Hallelujah. We'll continue on in verse 11 through 13, if you can follow with me. It says, verse 11 says, But when the king came in and seen the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can only imagine this great big room, this great big celebration, this wedding. The king comes in, and there's what? One person, as far as this text goes, Jesus is breaking down. He doesn't have the wedding garments. Now, what are the wedding garments? It doesn't tell us, does it? You know why? If it told us, we'd all be wearing it tonight. Because our religious ways. The Lord knows how we operate. Now, I better not put that. If I tell them they got to wear this type of robe and this, so everyone will think they're spiritual if they have the right garment on, they'll come in with their costume. But you notice also, the, the parable doesn't tell us that his, his friends or people he knew who had come to him, you got the wrong garment on, homie. You better go back home and, and get the right stuff on. No one told them. But only the king could see it. Could you imagine the king walking down the aisle right now? What it is is a form of righteousness, these garments, a form of forgiveness. It's like the prodigal son when he came home and he's been working with the pigs. And if you know anything about pigs, you can be three miles away at certain times of the day, the wind blowing towards your house, and you'll be able to smell the swine. And uh, we have some places over there in Jacksonville that some of the people bought houses. They come out in the morning, and they didn't know about the swine farm, the hog farm so close. And they say, where is that coming from? Well, I'm just saying. And it's now you can imagine workers that work in the well, the prodigal son, he worked in that farm and eating the, what the hogs eat coming home. And his dad says, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, we'll put a new robe. It's a representation of righteousness. In other words, it's represent representation of forgiveness, the goodness of God, God's mercy. He was out there living, squandering his life away in the life of sin. His son came with repentance ready to come back home. He put the new shoes on, the sandals on his feet, the ring on his finger, cleaned them up, and said, come on, we're going to have a celebration. And there again, the fatted calf was killed. I'm all about the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God he loves me. Hallelujah. I could be a, a faithful priest that the Levite priest would get a portion after they cut for the sacrifice. They had us I'll keep this steak here for myself. I can imagine. I'll volunteer to be a Levite. <laughs> but anyways, they, they, they all these, this, this time, you can see also the, the seriousness about these garments that God gives a pictorial way back in the Old Testament. The priest had to wear certain clothing, and there's a lot of details in it. You know, it's so detailed that he even ordered them to wear certain linen breeches. You know what linen breeches is? Underwear. They had to even, in other words, who's going to see it? You know, they could have had Hanes on or whatever it is or, or, or Tommy, whatever, they did, whatever. They could have had any type of underwear on, but he was very specific about what underwear that no one else could see but God could see with his x-ray vision. 
So you can imagine, you've got to have these garments on, and the only way you get these spiritual garments on is by forgiveness. Where, where we, I'll, I'll just, cla- I'll wrap it up. All of us right now, we all know we've lied. We're liars. No one has a train. My granddaughter, we just had her for a few days there in Jacksonville. Oh, she's a bona fide sinner. She's six years old. Caught her in a lie. How could this be? Her grandpa is a preacher. How could my possibly angel tell a lie, or we would say a white lie or a story? Either way, it's a lie. But she got caught red-handed. She wrote a letter to, to my wife. Do you, do you forgive me, yes or no? <laughs> I just... She wasn't around, me, my wife, I couldn't even read half of it. My wife, grandmas have a, a way to read little kids right. I couldn't, I said, I can't read the thing. And, and, but grandmas have that ability to read their grandchildren's letter. And, and, but I couldn't read the part where it said yes or no. <laughs> and I said, well, which one did you put? And she goes, you know what I did. I put, yes, of course I'm going to forgive her. And, but this is, this is, so we all know that we've lied. I, in fact, even more recently, my wife watches what I eat. What did you have for lunch? Oh, if I tell her I went to Burger King and had that double Whopper again, I'm going to get in bad trouble. She's going to put me on an extra diet again. And she's going to give me a chewing out like, I said, well, I, Burger King, where? You know, the, the Whopper shop. You had another one. I took my medicine, but oh, I was so close to tell a lie. But I, I said, no, I can't do it. Isn't that something? We, 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 we want to keep a certain image. We'll just change the truth ever so much. I mean, just, you know, we, and we do it. We, we'll, you, tomorrow you'll face consequences where you can tell the unsedated truth and be right with the Lord and be right with, with people. And, and sometimes, I mean, it's hard sometimes. We, you know, it's not life or death all the time, but it becomes a habit. All of a sudden you think, well, I, I can tell a little this or a little story over here, but it becomes a habit. Then when it's something more, it just keeps on growing. we got to catch these things. So I say all that is that we know we're liars, so we need God's righteousness. We need the Holy Ghost to stop us from our lying tongue so we can tell the truth even when it makes us look bad or we're not the hero because we all love to be the hero. Say, this is what happened. This is my part in it. This is what I did. This is where I spent the money. I shouldn't have spent money there. I shouldn't have done that. It, this is where I'm at. And, and, and you know what? When you tell the truth, and even though it costs you this or that, the Lord will back you up. The Lord will back you up. You know, it's real easy, especially if you write your own timesheet at work. And, uh, you know, 32 hours, what would really sound better to my budget is 40 hours. Let me mark it for 40, 32, 32, 40. You know, it's only eight hours difference. You know what? You know, I'll just put four. You know, oh, there it goes, 40 hours. And uh, it's so easy, isn't it? We can't do that, though. We got to say, Lord, it's 32, and you're going to have to make up the difference. You know, Lord, I'd like to see a 40-hour paycheck. But, Lord, you're going to have to help me and watch what God will do. Because he sees that, and he over rejoices on the intimate details when you're so honest and, and, and 
forthright. Now, now I know some of you women, you go around, one of your friends will say, how do my dress looks? You know, you don't have to tell them, boy, that dress looks terrible on you, sis. It looks like you're 40 pounds extra. No, you don't have to, you don't have to go into details. And, just, you know, there, sometimes you don't have to say nothing about certain things. They say, well, I'm just being honest. Well, sometimes you've got to keep your own thoughts. It's called being polite and cordial. So anyways, we can see what takes place here is that, that we need the, the righteousness of God. We need the garments. Because you can only imagine if the king is in here tonight, and all of a sudden he starts walking down and sees that you got the wrong garments on. He's looking. And to the king... To the king, it wasn't a mystery. It wasn't like he had looked twice. He instantly knew. Jesus also talks about other parables about the sheep and the goats being separated. He also tells another story about the wheat and the tares being what? Separated. But they're all mixed together. Is that interesting? They're all mixed together. And then all of a sudden he comes looking, and all of a sudden he sees someone. What are you doing here? You don't have the right garment on. What in the world? You know what happens, what, what the guy says to him? What does he say to him? He was speechless. Ever been so, so caught and so condemned, so convicted, where you couldn't even make up a lie? He's just totally, he's totally out of breath, like, like the air got knocked out of him. He was speechless. He knew what he should have done, but he did not do it. He did not do it. He knew exactly what to do, but he did not do it. How many people here in America, much less right here in Newport News, right here on Warwick Street, right around here in the neighborhoods, they know what they should do. Some of you are faithful witnesses and faithful servants for the Lord that, that you told them a thousand and one times and keep on telling them, but they need to be here, or, or, or even yourself that you've been in church for so long. You know what to do, but you don't do it. And that one day, it's a promise from the Word of God, and I believe in the Word of God from front to rear. There's been no error and no mishaps and no bad penmanship. Every word has been ordained and been anointed by the living God, by the Holy Ghost. And one day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And when the Lord says, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? Are we going to be speechless? Where's your garments? What do they do to him? The angels came. They did what? They grabbed him, and they bound him hand and foot and threw him to outer darkness where there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's not for two days or a week. One year goes by, 10 years go by, 500 years go by. It goes on and on. The Bible says, Jesus says, where the worm turneth and it dieth not. See, what we need is a revelation of what hell is. If we had three seconds of a picture where we could see what hell's about, it, even including me, that it would change the way we live, the way we talk, the way we think. It would, it, it would, I mean, it would revolutionize our whole Christian life if we had just three seconds of a picture and seen what hell's going on right now. 
family members of my past that I know how they live, I know how they talk, I know how they behave, and I know how they didn't serve God. They're in hell right now. They're probably screaming, only if I listened. My family up north, they, they rejected me. I wrote them a letter when I first gave my heart to Jesus. This is back when we wrote letters. And, and wrote letters, and, and, and they, 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 they ostracized me. They rejected me. They didn't want nothing. They thought I lost my marbles. But now I know these, these relatives, aunts and uncles. I wrote probably over 32, 40 letters to different family members because I want to see them to come to know Jesus. And then when I went up there to visit, the, the scuttlebutt in between my rows, Brian, they think you're a nut. They think you're crazy. They just make fun of you. But they're gone. They're gone. They're not living no more. The terrible, agonizing way they died, too. They didn't have no peace. There's very cruel. I mean, they died from crazy sicknesses and different things where my one uncle had both of his legs amputated. I mean, it was, it was, it was horrendous. But now today, they're wailing and gnashing their teeth. My daughter used to grind her teeth. I don't know if she still does. She's, she's out of the house. But I said, we need to get a football guard in your mouth or something. I'm gonna, and I had paid dentist bills with that. you know. Uh, but she'd grind her teeth at me. And that's a miserable sound. And not that she was, she was in hell or anything like that, but I can only imagine grinding your teeth for eternity because the pain is so powerful where the wicked are all gathered together there's no sharing in hell it's cruel it's torment it's pure torment where, where snakes and rats and all dark things and bats and and all the evil things that lurk are there in the demons and there's there's not a place well i want to go over here down to to the waterfront and the see the crystal sea you aren't going to go on vacation in hell Hell is forever. It's, you're trapped. You're, you're, you're there. You're isolated. There's no love in hell. And hell just, as, as the Bible says, as the worm turneth, it dieth not. In other words, your soul be there for eternity. See, we don't think about that, our decision-making. Because the world doesn't train you that way. You read the news. You read this. You read that. No one ever wants to talk about hell. But hell is just as real as I'm speaking right now. And we're only one heartbeat away from going to eternity. And you could be in this church tonight and have the wrong garments on. And you could be here for a long time already, for years, coming to this church. Everybody loves you. Jesus loves you. But you got the wrong garments on because you're not living a Christian life. And hell's real. One, one heartbeat away. That's all we are. There's a shooting that happened in Sacramento. You think those people woke up that day and said, oh, I got forever to live. I feel like I got forever to live, but I know as I'm lying to myself because I don't. The clock is ticking. I'm on the other side of the mountain. You said, what's the other side of the mountain? When you turn 50, you're going down the downhill. You're going downhill is a whole lot easier because you don't, you don't move around as much. You think before you move. You say, do I got the energy to do that? <laughs> But hell is, is right there where we don't make the conscientious decision. Those, those precious souls in Sacramento, where are they at? Many years ago, with, where I call it one of the first incidents of a major shooting, was a place in Colorado, the Combine High School. 
two demonic young men that are open to demon spirits went into the school and shot up this whole school. And this one young lady, there, there, she was there in the library next to her own brother, takes a bullet. I believe her name is Jessica Fisher. And there she takes the, the bullet from these madmen and, and these precious students. This, they think they got life forever, but that's how quick it is. And, but the, the, the powerful testimony is that this girl was living for Jesus. The other ones couldn't do it. When they did her funeral, over, they, they showed out of all channels, CNN, they showed her funeral on the television and they said over 10,000 people came to Jesus. And she told her dad, she said, Dad, she goes, what I want, I want my life to make impact in this world, and I want to be in the presence of God. She told her dad that more than once. She loved her Jesus. And the impact she made, over 10,000 people came to know Christ because they, they broadcast it because of her testimony. Student after student got up and said she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. Her soul is there in heaven rejoicing with the king of kings. I wish I could say that about all the other students, but I'm sure the parents could too because they're too busy for church. When hell's God, and hell's just counting. He's just lurking. He'd love to have your soul, give you all the distractions so you don't have time for church because he's got a place for you. He's got, and he's got a whole bag full of tools and tricks, and you're just one of, of, of over a billion of people that he can keep distracted so you won't come to the house of God, you won't come to the Savior, and you won't know this one named Jesus. He's got a whole bag of tricks, and if you think you can outfox the fox, uh-uh, you don't have a chance. He, you're just one of, oh, oh, okay, I know, I know. I've seen, I've seen a, oh, about... 10 million type of, oh, okay, I can work with you against your pride or against your rebellion. And he knows how to work it. He, he, he's patient, but he's, he'll work it. So you'll make that decision where you'll reject Jesus, get mad at God, and walk away. And that day when it's your last heartbeat, you belong to him. You belong to him. That's why our church, we, we raise up servants. We raise up workers. We, we, we try to raise up preachers as fast as we can. Because why? There's probably a city nearby or even far abroad or even overseas that we need somebody, the church, the heartbeat of our fellowship is we need to go now. The, the, the alarm, we used to have a, a fire alarm practice in school. I don't know if they still do, but anyways, the alarm will go off where you knew where to go. Well, the fire alarm is going off now for precious souls. And someone needs to rescue them or else they go into the fires of hell for eternity, they'll be trapped. I'll say all that tonight as we close is where are you going? What garments do you have on tonight? What are you wearing tonight? Do you have the righteousness of God? Are you living for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? But we're going to take a moment this, this evening and we're going to take a moment and you're going to have an opportunity to ask for the Lord to come into your heart and ask for forgiveness and say, I'm going to be serious about God because I don't want my place in hell. I don't want to place it with the devil for eternity. I want to live in the liberty and the freedom. You know, the Lord Jesus says, he tells us, he, he goes and prepares a place for us, a mansion in heaven. And maybe tonight you do have the righteousness of God on. Maybe you do have the garments of forgiveness. But are you a servant of the Lord? Are you a servant of the Lord tonight? 
You know, it's amazing. I've seen men that are strong, they're fast, they're big, they're very, they, they can win this world. But when it comes to Jesus, they won't, they won't lift a vacuum cleaner for Jesus for nothing. They won't clean a window for Jesus. They won't, they won't do nothing for the church. But, oh, they're strong in the world. They can make lots of money, lots of things in the world. They're the big man on campus. They can do lots of different things. But when it comes to Jesus, you know, I'll tell you, I had a, a, a lady in my church, a young lady, a precious saint. She would go on outreach every, she would not miss an outreach. She would not miss a service. We'd go street preaching. Downtown Charleston, she'd go with us. So what's the big deal? She can't hear. Totally deaf. Every time we had a prayer line, she'd come back up. The evangelist would be preaching. She'd come up and believe God to, to get healed, you know, believe God for her ears to open up. That's a servant. She didn't make no, I had an elderly lady. She, this, she wanted to be involved, but she's too old. She goes, her, her heart passion was that she would win one person to Jesus. And they gave her a phone list so she could call people because she couldn't go up the steps no more. She couldn't move around, so she would call people and, and say, hey, we just, we're thinking about you. We'd love for you to come on out to the church. I think it was Potter's House at the time. We'd love for you to come on out. She was a servant of the Lord. It's a very amazing what we can do when we want to serve God and have some influence and, and some expression. Oh, God will give you some ideas, and I don't have to sit there and rattle off all the different ideas. You, God will put that in you where you can serve your community, you can serve your church. If you have a heart to be a servant, say, God, you know my limitations. It could be health. It could be physical. Whatever it is, but we all can be what? Servants of God and help this church. And it's, it's not that you just, but you're helping the kingdom of God. We got to have a church to be able to help the kingdom of God to be in the essence of the church where we can hear his preaching and people can grow in their faith. But we all can have a part. There's no small part of the kingdom of God, but we all can say, you know what? I'm grabbing hold of the rose. It's a boat, and I'm going to start paddling and helping the kingdom of God because. Is there a place in your heart where you can say, I don't want to see nobody to go to hell? So tonight, you know you got the wrong garments on, and I don't have to come out there and point you out or put my finger on you. That's between you and God and the Holy Ghost, and don't think you're escaping because when you leave these doors and you know that you're not right with the Lord, you'll be miserable all night. My prayer is that you won't be able to sleep. In fact, if you do fall asleep, you'll see a picture of hell. you have a revelation of hell where you get out of your bed tonight and grab your Bible and say, God, forgive me because I should have listened to that preacher. I was too full of pride to come to the altar where you can open up your Bible in and, and, and Romans 10. Uh, 10 9 and read it for yourself and say that prayer but tonight you mean business with God you don't have to say your prayer in a closet but you can start it off tonight and say I'm coming to the altar tonight because hell's not designed it was never meant for you heaven's meant for us that's the place of the enemy that's the place of the darkness but tonight you and me can come to the altar and say this is where I belong in the presence of living God so let's take a moment and pray and tonight you're not saved you want to bow your head and close your eyes and reverence the Lord tonight. And tonight, you know that you know that if you died, you would not make this place called heaven.